0: your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, to you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I am made a minister, according to the gift of the grace given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, whom am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given." that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations of you, which is your glory." When I look at this particular passage, I'd like to break it up into five sections. You can see it the way I've got it written up here. I'm going to tackle the first two verses, and that's kind of a description of uh, Paul being the prisoner. I'd like to look at the, the, the next three verses, and we'll describe that, the next three, and, and you can see how this, uh, this outline will go. But let's just start getting right into this. Okay, the first two verses say, For this cause I, Paul... What cause? For this cause... Paul is going to write something for the next 13 verses, and he says, For this cause. Why is he writing? What cause? Multiple choice. I'm going to play a teacher on you. Would you guess A? Because a bunch of uncircumcised pagans would become a New Testament church. Wow, that's pretty tough, isn't it? B? A bunch of unchurched barbarians would see Jesus elevated far above an idol. Well, that's what he's facing. C? A bunch of different skin colors would unify into one cohesive body. That's what he was facing. D: a bunch of Gentiles would avoid being puffed up with their newfound knowledge. He was facing that too. You know what the answer is? E, all of the above. You got it. You guys are a smart class, right? That's what he was facing. OK? Got news for you. It says he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not put him in prison. And really, he wasn't a prisoner of Rome either. Rome didn't care if he preached Jesus or not. They were pretty much a hands-off type government system. Do you remember why they crucified Jesus? Not because they thought Jesus was wrong. Because they were just trying to keep it calm. There was civil disobedience within the country. And that's why they killed Jesus. got to think. Think like a Roman for a second. Pretend you're Pilate or whoever the governor is now at the time of Paul, Felix. He gets sent to this, excuse my language, but in their view, they viewed Jerusalem as a hellhole. I want to go back to Rome. That's where it's at. I don't want to be set over here with these crazy people. My goal is to serve my time, keep it quiet. They think I did a good job so I can get back home. And here's Paul, and he's creating this civil disturbance, and that's why he's in jail. So he's not in jail because of Jesus Christ. He's not in jail because of the Romans. He's in jail because of the Jews. And you know half the reason why he's in jail? Part of it is because he's putting, he's preaching Jesus, and he's doing this, but then there's a bunch of Jews that got converted, and they were upset because it was intermingling Jews and Gentiles, and they didn't like that. So the reason why he's a prisoner is because of his ministry to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. There was some Jews thinking, these are no more than animals. We talked about that last week. And you mean, you want me to come together and unite with them and treat them as equals within a church? That's what Paul was facing, and that's some of the civil disobedience he was facing and creating, and that's why the Romans were coming down on Hardim, threw him in jail, and sent him back to Rome because of the civil unrest, okay? And then finally, you'll see he talks about his bonds in many other places, and then he was given the ministry to the Gentiles. Let's go forward. There's one more thing, a dispensation, okay? Now, most of the time when you hear dispensation in religious circles, you think of this, an era of time. Well, 99% of the time when the word dispensation is used in the Bible, it's talking about the root word dispense, pass out, right? And a ministry was passed out, and Paul got the black card, okay? He got the ministry to the Gentiles. That's what was passed on to him. Read the verse. And ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace which is given to me to you word. In other words, they were passing out all the ministries, and I got the Gentiles. It's kind of like when I was at school, and they were passing out all the boys' ministry. They gave me the eighth grade boys. Okay? Okay. All right. Tighten up the notch. I'm going to weigh it in. Right? This this is, this is what Paul was facing. Okay. So that's what it says in the first two verses. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Uh, Just to show you that this was his ministry, I want to read in Galatians 2 7 and 8. But, contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, that's Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me, that's Paul towards the Gentiles <clears throat> I always wondered why they sent PhD, God sent PhD Paul to the Gentiles and he sent blue collar Peter to the Jews if I was done it I'd have done it the other way around but God didn't we're going to find out in a second why a couple years ago <clears throat> a matter of fact it was more than a couple years ago it was when my boys were teenagers I was heading back home to visit my parents in Detroit, Michigan, which is in the north. And we swung by, and at the time, Brother Buddy Abernathy, a solid preacher, was pastoring a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Brother, Brother Abernathy is a deep southern Alabama boy. And we went there and I swung by and I preached on a Wednesday night and we had time. The kids were playing in the yard and we were down in the basement where they had their lunchroom. And I was sitting there and I was asking, I says, why did God send the Southern boy to Fort Wayne, Indiana, the Detroit guy down to deep Georgia? (laughs) Why does he do that? Because he's got a sense of humor. Amen? Amen. Yeah, He gets us out of our comfort zone. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Paul, the Ph.D., he had all the letters and the accolades, and he was sent to the Gentiles that didn't give rip about that stuff. And then Peter, the blue-collar guy, was sent to the Jews. It seems like it the other way. Paul was a library guy. I'm picturing him. I know he did tents, but I'm picturing him with soft hands. And I'm picturing Peter just the opposite. I'm picturing his face weathered by the sun. All those times on the ship. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing great big hands with calluses on his calluses and broad shoulders. And that's who he sent to the Jews? Yeah, that's who God sent to the Jews. He you know the rough times, yes? Okay, all right. Let's keep on going. Okay, so now we're still in Ephesians 3. We're jumping to the next section of this uh, uh, passage. And I want to read 3 through 5. I want to show you that, that, that Paul was given a very special dispensation of knowledge okay? That, that was given him unlike the rest. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as in a four or a few words, I think that's chapter 2, whereby when you read you may understand the knowledge of the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed. Now, now, there was some things said, given indications that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. We can find that in the Old Testament, and we'll see that. But it was never given so clearly and and so plainly and actually put into effect as it was through Paul the Apostle. Okay? This is what Peter said to Paul. This is 2 Peter 3:15 and 16. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you. Peter is writing and he's saying God spoke specially to Paul and some things that he got even I didn't get. Okay? And why was that? Because he had a special ministry. It was different as also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Okay? All right. There's a mystery. And I believe as I pour through this context, the mystery is not that Jesus came back. The mystery is that Jew and Gentile would become one harmonious New Testament body. I cannot read this passage of Scripture and come to any other conclusion given the context. This was earth-shaking. And I want to spend most of today for you to understand what kind of ministry Paul was facing when he was asked to take on the church at Ephesus or any of the ones in Asia Minor compared to his brethren. Okay? Okay. Here's Isaiah 49.6. There's a hint of it. And he said, this is Isaiah speaking century before, centuries before, It is a light thing that sh- thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. There's a little bit of indication that something's going to happen to the Gentiles. So what Paul is doing is consistent with the Old Testament. It's just being blown up, enlightened in a way that they never understood. Jesus even said this in John 10, 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, when Jesus was preaching that in that metaphoric language, do you think the people really at that time says, I'm going to have to wash feet of a Gentile? I don't think so. Paul's going to take off all the shadows and the screens, and he's going to make that so plain. Okay? What I would like to do, it's kind of like, you're going to think I'm chasing a rabbit, but I'm not. I want to look at the life of Jacob And I want to use his life as a template for the life of a child of God. And the reason why I wear Jacob out, because when I read about Jacob's life, it so looks like me. Okay? Jacob's life from the time God put his finger towards him and he said, you're mine, to the time he went up into glory, he went so through things that as churchified people. I know I just made up a word. Brother Greg loves when I do that, especially when I put it in a title. We as churchified people, they would come into our church. Jacob would come in in some of these early stages and we would say, not saved. Not elect, not regenerated. And I look back at my life and that's me. This message about Jacob, when we look at his life I can take it and I can transplant it and put it on New Testament people. This is a message you won't hear in too many places. But I can't deny what God says about all these Old Testament characters and all these New Testament characters and when I look in the mirror and I see my life. I can't tell you how many times when I was doing my search and I would hear the gospel preached and I said, that's not what happened to me. That's not what happened to me. That's not what happened to me. And finally, I found a church that was constituted. And I said, that's what happened to me. That's how grace works. So let's go through Jacob's life. And just let's say this is a template about how God works. Okay? And and one of the reasons I also like Jacob is is, (sighs) there's so much written about his life. It it, it talks about all these phases from young to old. Okay? Okay? So when we go before he was born, this is recorded in, in, in Genesis 25, 21 through 23. And his mom and his dad was Isaac and Rebecca, and she's pregnant, and there's a set of twins in there, and the twins were even fighting while still in the womb. You thought, ladies, you think when you're pregnant you have indigestion? She had World War III going on in her belly. And she's saying, what's going on? And God speaks to her and says, you got two in there. And there's a promise, and it says the elder will serve the younger. In other words, I got plans for Jacob. Jacob's mine. I've picked him. He's the guy. My friends, that's pretty early, isn't it? Okay? Okay. And then we go forward, and, and, and Jacob and Esau are, boy, are, 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 are born, and they're growing up, and guess what they're doing growing up? They're fighting. And then they'd be cold, older, and now they're late teens or early 20s, and guess what they're doing? They're fighting. Yes? And Then we go to Genesis 25, 29 through 33, and Esau is out. And he's been out in the field, and he comes back, and he's just flat wore out. He's hungry. He's about ready to faint. And he goes to his brother, Jacob. Remember, Esau's the older one. And he says, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. And Jacob says, what are you going to give me for my food? Again, if I was the dad, I'd cuff him upside the head. Don't charge him any. That's your brother. Give him the food. But he did. He, what are you going to give me? He says, "I will give you my birthright." And he says, "I'll give you anything." What good's a birthright if I'm going to die? So give me your food. So he gave him some porridge. I wouldn't get my birthright for porridge. Yeah, right. But anyway, he gives him the porridge. The guy God chose is a blackmailer. Wouldn't we kick a blackmailer out of our church? Yeah. Would you give him the time of day? Would you share the gospel with a blackmailer? Gotcha. He's got a ways to go, doesn't he? And then we go to Genesis 27, 33 through 35. Believe me, there's no 335 verses there, okay? We go to Genesis 27, 33 through 35, and he's a deceiver. Think what happens. Dad's getting old. Matter of fact, he's way up in age and he's blind. And he says, you know what? I think I'm getting pretty close to dying. I would love to have some nice juicy venison one more time. And he says, tell you what, I'm going to get my oldest son. He's my favorite. Son, Esau, go in the woods. Get yourself a, your bow. Go kill a deer. Get it ready for me. Serve me my venison. Let me give one last good meal. And then I'm going to bless you. So Esau gets his bow and takes off in the field. So what Jacob does is he goes to dad and he disguises himself and he puts on his brother's clothes so he smells like him. And he does some more things and he lies to his dad. And he gets a goat and he gets it all and his mom helps him and he gets it all and he gives the goat to his father. And he said here and his father says, you know, you smell like him, but you sure don't sound like Esau. Who are you? He said, I'm Esau. He told him a flat-out lie. This is the guy God chose? We'd definitely throw that guy out of a church, wouldn't you? We'd definitely run him off. So there he is, and he tells the lie. He blesses him. And he stole, he he blackmailed him out of his birthright, and he stole and he lied and he deceived. This is a child of God? Yep. This is the one God's got eyes on. This doesn't fit the template of the way church was supposed to run, is it? Okay. And here's Jacob the Coward. So what happens is, is all of a sudden Esau finds about the trickery and Esau says, I hate that guy, I'm going to kill him. And so you know what Jacob does? He runs. He doesn't face his sin. He doesn't confess his sin. He doesn't make amends for his sin. He runs. He's a coward. Now that's the kind of guy we want to make up our church with, right? No. But this is God's anointed. This doesn't work like church is supposed to work. All right. So God gets a hold of him. Yay! I call this the aha moment. Okay, so what happens was he's running. And he gets a little campfire going and he gets a rock and he's laying on the rocks as his pillow and he's trying to sleep. And God appears to him in a dream. And he says, Jacob, the liar, the deceiver, the blackmailer, the coward, the mama's boy, he says, you're mine. I got plans for you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to multiply your seed. And you know what Jacob says? He says, wow, God was in this place and I knew it not. Jacob was not looking for God, but God was looking for Jacob. That's the gospel I know because I was not looking for God. God turned my world upside down and he said, Dolph Painter, you're mine. Okay, So we think, wow, this great big revelation. He sees God, he sees angels climbing ladders, going to heaven and down to heaven, and we say, what a miraculous conversion this should be. And then he prays one of the most God-awful sins or prayers ever recorded in Scripture. He said, Lord, this is recorded in uh, Genesis 28, 20, and 21, It's nothing but a deal. He said, Lord, if you feed me, if you clothe me, if you keep me safe, if you give me peace, if you do whatever you want, I want, then you can be my God. What happens if someone comes in our church and prays that prayer? We would never ask them to pray publicly again, would we? Amen? But he is God's chosen And he's got this little bitty peek at God. And you know what? He got a long way to go. But he's God's nonetheless, he's not acting like a regenerate. He's not acting like elect, but you know what? He is. And he's had an aha moment, but you know what? He's still like a three year old. And he thinks God is all about give me, I want, I need. That's a pretty young babe in Christ, but you know what? It's still a babe in Christ. It's still a person in Christ. Okay? So then, we go and we read that prayer, and it's just a horrible prayer. And then we go on, and then the next 20 years... He goes, you think you, go, you start school at five years old and then you enter first grade about six and then you go and you graduate after 12 years and you graduate, it's 12 years of school. Well, Jacob had a 20-year education. And this is how it started. He's running and he takes off and he finds this uncle, his name's Laban, and he says, Laban, oh, I saw your daughter at the well. She's a knockout and I just love her and I want to marry her. And I'll do anything for her. He says, I'll give her to you." He says, no, I want to earn her. That's pretty good, isn't it? So he works seven hard years and scripture says they were just like that because he was so excited about getting this woman and he works the seven years for her. And then what does Laban do? Laban pulls a switcheroo and he slips and he gives her Leah. the next morning he wakes up and he goes, you tricked me. You pulled a switcheroo. Isn't that just what he did to his dad? You lied about who she was. Isn't that what he just did to dad? And you know what Laban says? This had to be the biggest dagger into his heart. He says, in our country, we honor the older before the younger. Don't you know that had to be a... uh, Because he's realizing this is after the aha moment. Jacob goes through 20 years of aha moments, preparing him for the place where he's going to be useful. Okay? Why am I going through Jacob's history when we're talking about Gentiles? I want to show you how big of a knucklehead Jacob was and he was churched, he was circumcised, he was carried to the synagogue, Abraham was grandpa, Isaac was dead, he was taught in all the ways of God. And in a New Testament church, this is what James and John and Peter was dealing with all the time, these knuckleheads, and they were acting like that in a church. How much more do you think Paul was dealing with the unchurched barbarian pagans in his church? At least they knew how to act when they walked in the synagogue. They knew what to say. They knew how to fool people. These pagans didn't know anything. So when you put the two together, vile. I'm supposed to worship with him? I'm supposed to take communion with him? I'm supposed to break bread with him? Paul has got that ministry. That's what he was facing. But I'm not done with Jacob yet. Okay? So he works for his uncle now. This is Laban, his father-in-law. His uncle also has to be his father-in-law. And he's working for him. And, and Laban was a, a Charlotte himself. Almost as a, big a Charlotte as Jacob was. And he's working for and, and he gets mad. And he says, you know what? He's talking to his wives now. He's talking to Rachel. He says, Rachel, we got to leave. Your father's a mess. He's changed my ways, wages ten times. Everything, everything he promises, he breaks So instead of being the liar, he's being lied to. I think that has to be a dagger also. Amen? And then there's a conversion that goes on. This is recorded in Genesis 32. This, remember that first prayer that I told you is the worst prayer recorded in Scripture? Here's the one he prays. This is 20 years later. And he starts that prayer off, and he says, Lord, I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies. You know, as a church, we say, ah, that's the guy we want in our church, right? Before then, we say, he's not saved. He's not regenerate. He's not elect. He's looking for something. He's got a hole in his chest. The only thing that fills a God-shaped hole is God, right? And he's looking, and he's trying to jam everything but God in there, So we got to help him find God to put him in the God shaped hole. But he's fighting. But so did I, right? So did you. And then we go forward. And here's Jacob the student. So he leaves. I love this one too. I love all of them. (laughs) But here he is. Okay, he just prays. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy the least of thy mercies. And now he's getting to a point. He says, okay, God's going. Now you're a place where I think you can probably do something for the the kingdom. And he's going out and he's wrestling with an angel. And he says, angel, he says, I want a blessing. Remember the last time you wanted a blessing and you lied to get it and you stealed and you deceived your dad for the blessing? The angel says, what is your name? Now, do you think the angel of God really didn't know his name? And the answer is no. Why do you think he asked that question, what is your name? Last time you were asked what your name was, you said it was Esau. This time I'm going to ask you, what's your name because you want a blessing? What's your name? He said, it's Jacob. It's that another knife. Turn again, right? Jacob, you're nothing of yourself, the only thing we hear anything is because of the Lord. And he's getting them there. And that's a lifelong process. So we go a little bit further. And I call him Jacob the Hedger. So now he's coming back home. He finally leaves. It's time to come back home. God promises, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to multiply your seed. I'm going to take you home. I'm going to give you there safe. And he's on his way, keeping God's word. And he sees Esau. And he's scared. And he parlays his families to the least important to them. he plays favorites all the time. He's still Jacob. He's still, he's still got this spiritual nature and this fleshly nature, and they're always fighting. And he's the hedger. But then finally, we go all the way to Hebrews 11:21. You know what Hebrews 11 is? I call that the Hall of Faith, with Abraham and Moses and Noah, and there's Jacob. He's there. He arrived. So when I look at Jacob's life, I look at this, and I see him in his chosen state. And you know what? Even though God's got an eye on him, he's still a black male, a deceiver, a coward, and a mama's boy. But God's got plans for him. So who am I to say, I don't think I should preach or share the gospel with that person. Maybe they're not ready. That's probably true. Maybe you're just going to be there and you're just going to be the one that plants the seed. And maybe they'll remember that seed and it'll germinate later on. Maybe not. You don't know. So you do it anyway. Right? And then let's suppose they have the aha moment. And even though they have the aha moment, they're still going to offer up dumb prayer. And then we see the convert and he's still a student, and he's still hedging. He still doubts God. And then we see the saint. My point is, let's say Peter is pastoring the church at Jerusalem. Okay, let's just pretend. And he's dealing with Jews like Jacob, that were circumcised, that was carried to the synagogue, that know the Ten Commandments. They understand idols are bad. They understand all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, they got to realize it's not by works, it's by grace of Jesus Christ. And you get some resistance on that, yes? And that's what Peter's dealing with. But he's still dealing with babes in Christ that are still going to make a lot of silly mistakes. That's Jacob. Now, I want you to consider who Paul's dealing with. The, The people Paul are dealing with don't even have that foundation. So when you read this book and you read Genesis 2, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 and you realize what Paul is dealing with, he is dealing with these gentiles that aren't churched that are acting very <sighs> barbaric. And he's in a, and somehow he's trying to get the barbaric behavior in these early Christian states to mesh with these Jews that have been converted out of Judaism, do you understand the task that he has? It's terrible, but that's what he's doing. Okay, I'm going to share something with y'all. Okay, <clears throat> and and this is something that happened late on Wednesday, so most of the folks that were there on Wednesday don't even know about it. Uh, Randy's been telling a lot of folks in the valley about a good thing we have here in this church. Amen. And he says, we got a good story that's unlike a lot of, what a lot of people have heard and a lot of people are going to hear. And he said, would you consider having a Sunday evening service? Because some of the people I'm sharing this with are going to other places and are working and doing different things. And I told him that I will. Every second and fourth Sunday, all the way to the end of the year, We'll have an evening service. And it'll be geared of messages just like what you heard about Jacob. We're, gonna... We're still in Ephesians 3. Let's go through 6 through 8. <clears throat> that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. <clears throat> that phrase fellow heir." do you realize now how much trouble that phrase fellow heirs got Paul into trouble? Have the same body. Come on, God. You really want me to sit in the pew next to that guy? I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of the cell of the saints. Okay? Paul got this ministry in John 15:16, Paul was talking to his apostles. He says, "Ye have not chosen me. I did not run an advertisement in the newspaper saying, "All come and apply to be an apostle." He says, "I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go, for, go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You become an apostle because he chooses you." 1 Corinthians one through 26-29, the same thing. Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about this, these people at this church at Corinth. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world. Paul is calling himself a fool. A Jew that was persecuting Christians. Who on earth would pick a Jew that was converting Christians to convert the Gentiles? That's who God picked. He picks the foolish things of this world, and that was Paul. He's chosen the weak things that God chooses, okay? All right. And then finally, I want to show you something. <clears throat> Paul never forgot his past. He never forgot his past. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, it says, For I am least of the apostles, for I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. He says, I know what I did in my past, and I did not earn this reward. Matter of fact, God picked it. And if I was his advisor, I would have picked me. That's what he's saying. 1 Timothy 1, 13-15 Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I attained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. God picked me. Down at the bottom it says, Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He never forgot his past. It's pretty tough to get puffed up when you remember what you were, and the only reason you got to where you are is because of God, not your own doing. We give the glory to God. Paul gave the glory to God. Paul made mistakes. Amen? I I just, I'll never forget. You think Paul never made a mistake? There was a time where Paul was preaching and they went on an evangelistic tour and they were looping through the Mediterranean they were in Asia minor and they brought this young preacher along named Mark and about halfway through that trip Mark says, I got to go home Paul was so mad at that kid I'm never preaching with that guy again he got back home (coughs) he and Barnabas finished up their trip they got back home and they were going to go on another trip let's go preaching again Paul says, okay, let's do it. Barnabas says, let's take Mark. Mark said, no way. I'm sorry. Paul said, no way. I am not taking Mark. And Barnabas said, come on, Paul, give him a second chance. No, I'm not preaching. And if you want to take Mark, I'm not going with you either. So they split ways. And Barnabas went one way and Paul went another way. Well, Barnabas took that guy, gave him a second chance, ministered with him, preached with him. And we see at a later time, Paul's writing at the end of his life. He said, send Mark to me, for he's profitable to me. All I can say is, thank the Lord for Barnabas. Right? So even this minister called of God made a mistake. Paul did. He misjudged. He wasn't merciful. Paul never arrived. Neither will you. Neither will I. Okay, and then finally, what he's doing is he's preaching Christ. Let's go to the next passage right here, real quick. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I'm in, in verse eight. I'm Ephesians three, verse eight. I want I want to make this one more point to you. Unto me, whom least of all the saints is given this grace that I should preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want you to, to realize this. In Matthew fifteen, Jesus was talking to a Gentile. And the Gentiles are being likened to dogs. They don't even deserve the scraps from our tables. So in one sense, we think of the Gentiles from the Old Testament as their dogs not worthy of the crumbs from our table. And notice what it says here in this epistle in Ephesians 1, 7, 1, 18, 2, 7, and 3, 3, 16. He says, I'm not giving them crumbs. I'm giving them the riches of grace in Jesus Christ. Do you realize how that separated Paul from even converted Jews? I don't give Gentiles crumbs anymore. I give them the riches. I give them the same riches I'm giving you. Really? They don't deserve it. Neither do you. Amen? Amen? So that's what he was doing. Okay, time's getting away from me let me hit these last 12 verses and then I'll save 13 for next week. I think that'll go with that second prayer a little bit better. But let me hit these next couple verses. I'm in Ephesians 3, 9 through 12. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world hath hid in God who created all things by Christ, Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers. You know who the principalities and powers are in heavenly places and on earth? That's Jesus Got it? That's Jesus. Might be known unto the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I want you to know that Paul and Peter even though they had different ministries they preached the same gospel. They preached one where God did the planning Jesus Christ took the legal work the Holy Spirit takes the, the vital work the living work. And all of those people will go up into glory. None fall out, none are added in. They preach the same gospel. Paul preached it in Romans 8. Peter preached it in 1 Peter 1 2. The same gospel to different people. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you have access to God that Old Testament saints don't. That's very, very important. In the Old Testament, The Jews could go to God through one person one time a year. That was the access they had God, to God. And all of a sudden Jesus Christ comes and he tears down that middle veil and he gave all those Jews access to God to pray to him 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year. But not only did he give them the access, he gave the same access to Gentiles. Wow, that's so hard. 2,000 years later, that's so hard for us. We're used to going into our closet and talking right to God. They couldn't do that. And it wasn't just a Jew thing. It was a New Testament thing. Everyone had that access. Let's read these two verses. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we have maintained mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now again, people will always ask me, how do I come boldly before God? How, how do I approach God boldly? Aren't I supposed to come meekly and mildly and timidly? And the answer is yes. The only way I know how to come before God boldly is when I'm quoting Scripture. When I, this is recorded in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an even conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We go boldly to God because of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament Jews could not do it because they did not have the blood of Jesus Christ. They had blood of animals. New Testament Jews do it because of the blood of Christ, not because of their heritage or their pedigree. They do it because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament Gentiles come because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because they were left out or of any kind of promises. Not because of an act of circumcision or baptism, it's the blood of Christ. And that's what we rest on.